Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you're a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to Episode 7 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm your host, Andy's Mom. In today's episode, I talk with my dear friend, Michelle. Today, we look a little more closely at the effect of death on surviving siblings. Michelle's younger sister, Jennifer, died at the age of 13 of cancer, while her older sister, Angela, struggled against the same disease. Her older sister did go into remission for many years, but cancer eventually ended her life as well at the age of 35. We discuss Michelle's struggles as the lone healthy child in the family. She talks about watching her parents and where she received support after their deaths. Although that was meant to be the full content of this episode, we also talked a great deal about how those past experiences helped her care for me in many ways others could not. She could help guide others to do the practical things that needed to be done and always made sure I was being cared for. If you are a regular listener and follower of my blog, you will notice that this episode was recorded about three weeks ago. If you do not read my blog, I would invite you to go to andysmom.com after listening today and read my latest blog post, The Closets, which is related to this episode. While there, you can subscribe to my email list to get the latest updates. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show today, Michelle. Sure. Um, so Michelle is a dear friend of mine, but today I'm not interviewing her as a dear friend, but I'm interviewing her as a sister, a sister to um, two sisters who passed away, one as a child and one as an adult. And it's so funny when I think of the two of them together, I always hear you talking about how your grandmother called them, that they were Jennifer and Angela, right. and not Jennifer <laughs> and Angela. So um, first, I just want you to give the audience an idea of what your sisters were like. Um, well, my younger sister, Jennifer, Jennifer, <laughs> my grandmother, um, was from Massachusetts and had a Boston accent and that's why she pronounced them that way. And, um, so Jennifer was my younger sister by two years and we, um, she passed when she was 13. So, mm -hmm. um, I remember her as a child. Yeah, tell me about that. Tell me about your childhood together. So both my sisters were much closer to each other than to me. And my older sister was two years older than I was, and my younger sister two years younger. And they were both much more extroverted and always together. And I, my best friend was a book. So yeah. <laughs> I was... Um, always reading. That's how people remember me. When um, adult friends talk about me, they say, well, you just seem to always be reading. And they were much more connected to each other and yeah, just much because more they outgoing. Were more similar personality-wise. Much, mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but we were, that being said, we were all close. Yeah. You had a close family. Very close family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, and then tell me about your other sister, Angela. Um, so we lost Angie when she was 35. So she was an adult and married with two children, um, who were eight and five when she passed away. And she was sort of the ultimate mom, you know, PTO, headed everything and just ultimate stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, you really went through a lot mm -hmm. when you were a child. Right. Um, both of your sisters were sick with cancer yes. when you were growing up. Um, tell, tell us all about that. Um, so my younger sister was diagnosed at 10, and it took a while to diagnose her. She had um, 
a lump in her throat that we were measuring and it just seemed like she had this terrible protruding lump that um, they couldn't figure out for a long time and um, she it now they're curing this cancer but at the time they were not and so she lived for three years with cancer Mm -hmm. and she was a laryngectomy and so she had you know a hole in her throat and talked kind of with a computer she a little vibrating machine she would Mm -hmm. put up to her neck so we could understand her we all learned sign language so we could speak um it was rough it was really rough um watching that yeah that's got to be hard as Mm -hmm. a young girl how old were you then you were 12 when she was diagnosed yes 12 and then 15 when she passed Mm -hmm. and she was diagnosed terminal and my older sister um noticed a lump in her throat and um my parents at the time my younger sister was sick a lot of the time in the hospital and she was being treated at children's hospital in washington dc And my parents were always in the hospital with her. And my older sister kind of grew her hair long and put it around her neck. And she just wasn't willing to go through what Jennifer had gone through. And so she had resigned herself that she was just going to go ahead and pass. She didn't want to have treatment. Because she really thought she had cancer. She did. Mm -hmm. And um, it was the exact same place, everything. And so one day... Um, Angie and I went to go visit Jennifer in the hospital and when Angie turned her head a nurse saw a lump on her neck and they admitted her and she was diagnosed with cancer and so actually um, they were there were times they shared a hospital room and Mm -hmm. Jennifer was dying and Angie was getting treatment or maybe had an infection and it was tough yeah that has got to be hard yeah Talk about um, your parents during that time and what you saw in them. Um, you know, I saw, so my parents were always a great team. Yeah. Um, and, um, but it was sort of impossible to be everywhere. And um, my dad had been in the military when my older sister was born, and he did not meet her until she was one because he was overseas. Wow. And that always had a big impression on him that when she was dying, he said, I was not with her when she came into the world. I'm going to be with her when she leaves. And I think he felt the same way about my little sister, even though he was there when she was born. um, He had taken a leave of absence because he didn't want to miss her leaving the world. And so the last few months especially, they were at the hospital the whole time and... So um, there were a lot of breaks where we didn't see them as often as you would want to see your children. Um, And they just, they had an impossible, um, very impossible situation to try to navigate Uh of being the parents of three kids, one healthy, one who is trying to just be a high schooler, and two kids, one dying and one fighting for her life. It mm-hmm. was very difficult. And how was that time for you? Um, I think my nature is that I just felt fortunate that I wasn't going through that. And so I just wasn't a squeaky wheel. I kind of just went yeah. through life. We had just a really didn't want nice to bother commu- anyone. Didn't I'm want sure. to bother anyone. Didn't want my parents to worry about me. Um, And so I just, I had nice friends. Everyone was always nice to me. When I hear about teenage angst and high school being difficult, everyone was always kind to me because I was going through a lot. Yeah. And so. I mean, really, just so the listeners know, that is part of what brought the two of us together as being so close is because when Michelle was in high school, she was the girl whose sisters had cancer. And when I was in high school, I was the girl whose parents had cancer because both of my parents had cancer. I'm not sure that I've shared that before. I have shared the fact that my mother died, but um, my dad did suffer from colon cancer at the same time, which he did eventually recover from. But it is different to be in high school and to be that kid. Yes. Right? No one quite treats you the same. They just... 
don't know what to do. Right. Um, and probably even more so after the death. Um, yeah, would I would say so. I, I would say when we lost my sister, she was 13. I was 15. And my older sister was in the midst of treatment. And I think it would have been a lot different had we not had to focus on my older sister's health. But um, my parents really didn't have the opportunity maybe to fully grieve because they right. had to go into action to try to... Um, she was she was diagnosed late stage because she had waited to tell anyone. Um, and so they had... She had a lot, a long road ahead of her. And so as a result, I don't, I almost don't think we had the opportunity to grieve the way a lot of uh, families would. Well, and the way you probably should. Probably. the way that you kind of need to. But you can understand that, especially since they had the same thing. Right. That um, how scary that must have been for your sister to think to see her sister right. slowly die over right. three years and right. think that's going to be me. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, which is exactly why she did not want to go through the treatment. I mean, one of my, I would say one of my most vivid memories with my sister is that, I don't know if it's still the same, but when she was getting chemo, it was really important to drink a lot. And mm-hmm. you're so nauseous. And you're supposed to drink. And so I would lay in bed with her and um, we'd have a bowl of ice chips. And every page I would read to her, she'd have to take an ice chip in. And it was so frustrating. I'd maybe get eight, ten pages in and then she'd throw it all up. And you just thought, we worked so hard to get that down. Or she did. Yeah. Um, Although you're just such a team as a family. Yeah. And um. And to lose all of that, it was really disheartening. And um, yeah, and so a lot of my memories are those types of things. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it just must have been so challenging and tough. Um, I know you've talked to me about after your sister died and where you could get support Mm-hmm. Because it really wasn't always from your parents. No. Is that right? No. In fact, um, I would say there was a family in the neighborhood who treated me like their own child. And um, it was the Johnson family. And Debbie was my age. And um, we we didn't even really hang out in school that much together. But her family was a real respite for me um, to go to. And I spent a lot of time at their house. And what were they able to help you with? Normalcy. Yeah. Yeah. Just making things feel normal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that is important for kids. Yeah. I, I know just watching my own kids and how they do need that. Yes. Um, especially I think about my son in seventh grade in middle school. Mm-hmm. You just really want, desperately want to be like everyone else. Yes. Would you agree that that's what Absolutely. you felt like? That you didn't like to be the kid whose sisters were sick with cancer. Right. Or the ki- kid whose, you know, little sister died. Right. Yeah. It And no one wants to feel that way. You want to feel the same. So it seems like as a parent, you want to try to give that to them as much as you can. But it is so hard. Yes. Because you're in such pain and right. such agony, really. Right. Um, did you find school a little bit of a respite too or not? Absolutely. I remember actually the day my parents came, um, I was, I spent the night at a family friend's home and in the morning went to school and they called me down to the office and my parents were there waiting to tell me, um, that Jennifer had passed in the night and I didn't go home. I wanted to stay at school. I don't think I told anyone. I don't know. I don't even know if any kids knew, but I couldn't go home to where she lived. Yeah. I just couldn't go back and have to be there. Yeah. It's a hard place to be. It is. I think about that with um, myself. You know, I, I, w- I tried going back to work 
way too early. Like right. it was six, seven weeks after right. the death. And really a big part of that reason was I just couldn't stand being at home. Right. Because I walked past his bedroom all the time. Right. I walked past the locker where he his coat still hung and his shoes still were in the drawer. And I, it just was too hard. Right. I, I remember my daughter, who is, you know, 16. Um, well, yeah, she was 16 at the time. Anyway, she um, really wanted us to move, like, very quickly we were in the process of starting to build a house and she just wanted to get out of the house Mm -hmm. because she had walked past Andy's bedroom every time she went to her own and just seeing those things Mm -hmm. just bothered her so much Mm um yeah now I think she feels a little bit differently because now she kind of um, starts to appreciate seeing those things right. and really not wanting to forget him. Right. So things do change a little bit over time. Right. But at least initially, right. that is so hard. Yeah, when um, after we lost um, Jenny, her room kind of was a museum. It, it Nothing changed. Right. And my older sister started dating a fellow um, that she would later marry, but he lived... Um, in Virginia and we lived in Maryland and he would come over over the weekend and he had nowhere we only had one extra bedroom it was Jennifer's room and I remember thinking that no yeah no one's allowed to sleep in there what are you talking about Mm -hmm. and feeling very irritated and it had been uh three years two years um since she had passed away and it, the thought was offensive. You know, speaking of feeling comfortable where you live, when, so my parents stayed in the home. We were building a home mm-hmm. when Jennifer's diagnosis happened. And my parents decided to stay put because we had good, great neighbors, great yeah. support, and we were going to change school systems. And they just thought that was not a good idea when they were, their journey had, you know, mm-hmm. changed. changed. And so we stayed in our same home. And then my sister um, got married at 20. My older sister, she was in remission. And she got married when she was really young. And, it's, um, it's interesting. I, I think a lot of that probably is because they're, she was forced to grow up. I couldn't agree more. So quickly. Yes, yeah. she was mm-hmm. very mature and uh, very focused on important things. And mm-hmm. she was different than the average 20-year-old. Yes. But then, um, and my parents still lived in that home. And as soon as I left for college, the house went on the market. And I couldn't believe, we had never discussed where were we going to live after Jennifer died. And I remember asking my mom, um, I said, it's kind of nice that home is hard to be in, in ways. And she said, we were just waiting for you to move out. It's been really suffocating for me. Mm-hmm. And we never discussed it before because I think I would have been okay with moving. It was hard living there. I, I think it's hard both ways. Right. It's hard to think of leaving and it's hard to be there, if that there, makes there sense. There is. A, I, it makes perfect sense to me because I certainly am feeling that way. And everyone in my family feels that way as well. I mean, we have this big house that's really too big. We right. don't. And especially will be too big when um, Catherine goes off to college yes. and Valeriano moves right. out and we're just the two of us with Peter. Um, so we've talked a lot. We still have the land. We won't build the same house because the boys had, you know, twin bedrooms right. that that were right up against each other. And um, so we won't do that. But it does seem like we should move. And it's the, like, right thing to do. But yet being able to go in his room and see his things right. and have that space. Right is really nice. And I know when I've talked to Peter about it, he will immediately tear up at the idea of not having Andy's stuff around. So it is a challenge. And I've talked to different people too that 
everyone always says you don't don't do anything for a year don't move for a year don't do anything for a year just stay put because you might regret making that change you know and I've talked to someone um, at my church who moved almost right away because her husband just couldn't handle being there right and was spending like too much time even at work almost avoiding being home sure um but she didn't know, in, in retrospect, if it really was the healthy thing to do. Right. And so I remember um, after, not, not long after my older sister died, she was 35. And uh, within a, I'm not sure exactly the time frame, but within a couple of years, my mom got cancer and got a rough diagnosis. And she was with us for 15 more months. And then she... Um, went home to the Lord, and we had a funeral, and my dad came out for two weeks um, to visit me in Michigan. He still lives in Maryland. And then I went home with him to help him sort of get the house together, and I packed up her closet, and it took me a long time to get it, everything boxed, and my dad walked in when it was all boxed up, and he started crying and he said I feel like I'm kicking her out and I said dad I can put everything right back up on you know the hangers you don't have to get rid of this stuff and he said no other people can be wearing it and um and so we took it to Goodwill or wherever we took it but it really struck me that there's no right and wrong there's a right and wrong for you Mm -hmm. you know you have to figure out and what's difficult is you have a family now that what's right for the whole family, what's right for one. For instance, your working situation, it, your husband needed to go back to work and have that normalcy. And, and that I, wasn't right for you yet. No, it wasn't. You know, mm-hmm. and what what is a good choice for one in their grief journey isn't well, for the other. And I've had um, a friend that said almost right away, I wanted to take Andy's clothes and make them into a quilt, which is such a beautiful thought. But for me, the idea of cutting up his clothing was too much to handle. And I said, you know, thank you. I really would like you to do that someday. But I can't do it quite yet. And the other thing is, is, you know, I have always shopped for Peter in Andy's closet. Right. Right? Andy grew out of something, it became Peter's. Right. That's been since they were infants. I mean, right. since Peter was an infant, I should say. So I couldn't just stop doing that. And we still do that. I mean, last week, Peter asked, said, Can we go shopping for pants? I need more pants because the weather was cooling. And I said, Well, just go in Andy's drawer. And I know there are only about two or three pairs left. Right. And probably he took the rest. And that is going to just about, I mean, I can't even tell you how hard it's going to be when I have to actually shop for pants for Peter because I just didn't have to do that. Right. Ever. Right. So when that closet is empty and that the chest of drawers is empty because Peter got everything, now that's going to be hard. That's going to be hard. I remember when we were little, there were three girls, each two years apart. Right. And my mom just loved dressing us the same. Mm-hmm. And so my poor little sister would grow out of her clothes and have to grow into the same outfit of mine <laughs> <laughs> and grow out of that outfit and grow out and wear the same outfit of my sister's. It was funny. Well, what's funny with Peter is because I've done that too. I would get them both. You know, I'm from Iowa, so I get them both Iowa Hawkeye shirts and shorts. And Peter loved that fact that he knew that when he grew out of his, he was going to be able to wear it again because he, those were always kind of his favorite outfits. I got Tigers outfits for both of them for the Detroit Tigers. And oh, he was, you know, so excited that there was always one in waiting for him. Yeah. But it was always kind of those favorites. Exactly. Ours were dresses with carrots on them. Yeah. (laughs) You know, not. It wasn't spirit wear. That's it wasn't. For sure. It wasn't something cool. It was nineteen seventies, eighties, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Not not beautiful. Um, so talk about your older sister and um, 
I mean, ultimately she did recover from her initial mm-hmm. cancer. Right. Yeah, they, um, when they diagnosed her, they did not have um, a good prognosis and um, they didn't expect her to live uh, nearly as long as she did. And she uh, was 17 at diagnosis and she died at 35. So um, she more than doubled her life and she was able to marry, um, as I mentioned, and she had a daughter who... um, was eight when she died and her son was five and Mm -hmm. who are now out of college and productive members of society. And, um, yeah. Yeah. But, but so at some point in time, that same cancer returned then? Or Um, actually, um, every, I believe everywhere she was radiated, she got cancer. And Mm -hmm. so she did not get the Hodgkin's back. She got breast cancer. She had, it was in her bones. Um, I think she went out of remission four or five times. Um, Mm -hmm. She had various surgeries and, um, yeah, so, you know. And and after your older sister died, she had those two kids. Yes. Um, Were you still able to be in their lives? Were your parents still be able to be in their lives? Because I hear a lot about that not happening. Yeah, it was um, an interesting dynamic because my parents lived in Maryland. My sister had lived in New Jersey, um, and I'm in Michigan. And when she was uh, diagnosed for the last time, I had started my family. And I had um, Lars, my oldest son, was three months old. And um, I was able every, every month, I was able to fly out and go to her chemo and I'd stay with her for a week and then we'd fly back and it was such a blessing um and then I got pregnant with uh, my second child and um we still were able to fly out and unfortunately um I was due to have my daughter and had to fly home to Michigan and stay home until she was born and so I missed her um, being with her when she passed away because I was in Michigan having Grace. And they actually were born at the same uh, – Grace was born as Angie died. Yeah, I remember you telling me that, that yeah. how powerful that would be, actually. It was um, – because I, you had her and then got a phone call or we called. Learned, yeah, yeah, you we called. Call, Craig, my husband, called and said, Grace is here. And they said, Angie just passed. And it was, he had to walk back in. He walked out when he was saying, Grace is here. And I thought, why, why did he leave? And he came back crying and said, your sister just died. And I remember the next day, um, my OB saying he had never, and he was not a young young doctor, and he said he had never experienced a high and low so close, you know, just so such, such an excitement and then such a heavy time. Yeah, so Grace was not even 24 hours when she was let out of the hospital and we were on a plane to go out east. Yeah. Yeah. So you grew very close with your sister. Your very close. Very. I, yeah. Do you think part of that was going through the loss of Without Jennifer? Doubt. Yeah. yeah. I all all everyone in my family was um, definitely closer than I would say the average um, family. Mm-hmm. Just um, the bonding experience of grief. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you talked about how you were the one that was a little bit more set apart because yes. you were the reader and yes. the introverted one and yes. the other two were closer. But after she passed, that you had a different dynamic. Then. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would, um, yeah, my older sister and I were, um, spoke many times a day. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. And, and I've noticed that with my kids too, my my daughter was just crying recently and she said i don't think i loved andy enough because i love peter more now than i ever loved andy mm. and i said oh honey you know he couldn't have loved you more you 
you didn't disappoint him. You weren't a bad sister. She just feels more now than she did before. And she, I think, cherishes Peter more than she did either Peter or Andy before this tragedy. Without question. I I can completely relate to that. And um, what... Um, and by the way, I know your daughter, and she's such a wonderful sister, and was to Andy. So it's it's painful to hear that that's how she felt because she couldn't have been a better sister. Oh, I know. You know, and um, hopefully, I can say all these years later, um, when I think about my sisters, we're you know we're t- reflecting now, and I'm remembering their illness, but. Hands down, when I think about my sisters, I think about who they were, not what happened to them. And yes. cancer is what happened to them. But it's not who they it's were. It's not who they were. And and you think back, and it's much fonder. Um, and you think about all the wonderful things about them. You don't think about the tragedy that bestruck them yeah. as and, much. And that's why I always like to focus on that, why yeah. I always start every episode with tell me about um because it is different and you know Andy just wasn't the kid who died in a car accident Mm -hmm. Andy was an amazing talented boy and your sisters were you know one an amazing wonderful sweet girl and the other grew into a talented amazing woman right too and and you want to remember that right and you want to remember all those good things that right. they were. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the closer you probably are to that loss, the longer it takes to get back to the essence of who they were because mm-hmm. it's just such a shock um, that they're gone, especially, um, you know, I I told you very quickly after Andy had passed that it's like God had put us together as friends all those years ago when we bonded over that our moms had died. Right. Because that was our first bond, actually. Because it. it was, I moved to town and your mom had not been gone very long, I don't no. think, at all. Right. Um, my mom had passed quite a bit earlier, but I, I just felt such a draw to you right. because of that and that struggle you were going through and the struggle I had gone through. And right. then as we became friends, then we learned so much more about each other right. and about how cancer had been such a huge part of our childhood right. and our growing up. And right. I think that brought us closer together. But I have talked before, I've actually mentioned you before on the show in that it is so valuable to have someone who can understand a bit of what you're going through. I mean, you should never say to anyone, I know exactly how you feel. Right. Because you don't. Right. Even um, those of us who lost children, even those of us who may have lost 14-year-old boys in tragic accidents, I don't know how that other person feels because we all need different things. Having said that, you can have such an insight Mm -hmm. as to what it sort of can feel like that you can know what to do. Right. And you just stepped up in ways that I can never thank you enough for. I mean, you don't have to thank me at all. It's just what. Yeah, I mean, and it was when when Andy died, I mean, she was there. I was in the emergency room about ready to go get like my CT scan. Eric was, you know, in a different part of the emergency room. Peter was in a different part of the emergency room. So I was alone. You know, they're cutting off my clothes, checking everything. And she just popped right in the room I don't know who let you back there I don't know if you just burst your way back I have no idea (laughs) but you know I don't feel like I was there very long at all 
before you were holding my hand. I was, yeah. I remember they put a lead apron on me so that you could get your x-rays and I didn't have to let go of your hand. Yeah, because they did x-rays before. You did have to leave me to go to the CT scanner, but gosh, you were, I think, right outside the room. I was right outside. and Because you were there holding my hand because that's my first time I had a panic attack. I actually thought I was like, had a pneumothorax or was having a heart attack or something horrible was happening to me because I was just in terrible pain and... And really, I think it was just the shock and the panic and the everything. Right. But I remember looking in your face because I think you thought I was dying because I, I thought, thought I was dying. dying. <laughs> I thought you were dying. And um, I thought you were having a heart attack. And they yeah. said, when they said, okay, Marcy, we're going to treat this as a cardiac event, but we think it's anxiety it, yeah. and grief. And um, yeah, it was, and, and I will say, I mean, I think God the most painful things in our life God uses for us to be able to minister to others. And without doubt, you know, losing my sisters and my mom are right at the top of the list for me. And yet I think it helped me to be a good friend to you. And I think God knit that um, relationship. And I can remember telling you that um, like before seven in the morning one day when we were driving somewhere separately on the phone saying, I feel like I did. This I have went what, through this for yeah. you. Yeah. I also distinctly remember when you talk about not knowing someone else's exact grief. I remember having my son, and if someone would have said, "What is it like to lose a child?" I would say, "I watched up close my parents lose a child. I know exactly what it's like." And then I gave birth, and I realized, I know what it feels like to be a sibling, but this is unimaginable to think of losing this kid. I can't, it's upsetting for me to imagine it now sitting here and he's 20 years old. Yeah. And so it is And I think it's so hard for people to imagine it. They just don't want to think about it. And if you don't want to think about it, then you don't want to talk about it. You don't want to even touch it. And you just want to just kind of almost pretend like it can't happen. That's right. Um, But you saw it firsthand. Yes with your parents and you saw it firsthand then with me yes um and goodness the assistance was amazing you know she we were here people started bringing food they started bringing all this stuff she had like a clipboard with all this paper on it and wrote down what everybody did gave very strict instructions to my sister-in-law that when she left she had to keep doing it (laughs) I remember my sister-in-law, Lori, saying, I'm kind of scared of her. I've got to get all this done for sure. She's going to be mad. She was off at Costco getting, you know, thank you cards made for us. I didn't have to do any of that. It was suddenly there were like meals coming. There was a meal chart. She had a GoFundMe page to get my house cleaned. I mean, it was... It was all those practical things that I know I've mentioned before, but are so helpful because you can't do any of them. Right. I mean, the idea of cleaning my own house, I mean, if someone had not come and done it, I mean, someone actually came the the day after Andy died before we even got home from the That's hospital. That's right. I met them here. And she wanted to do that for you. Yeah. So, except they didn't touch Andy's room, which was a blessing. Right. Because I really, I mean, it was a mess, but I kind of had to see it as his mess and how he left things. Well, Marcy, if you remember, I I can remember when um, the person that um, cleaned your home from the GoFundMe page um, found one of his socks um, in a chair, I think. Yeah. And the thought of that was hard enough when she was handing it to you. And I know that would have been certain things are hard to discover on your own, but that was, I know a blessing that you had someone helping you with just the trivial things. Right. Around the Cause home. you're right. It was hard enough for her to hand that to me. I mean, I, we went up North. This is this summer. We went up north, and Peter has not stayed very much in the bedroom that they shared because it's just too painful. Instead, he sleeps in our closet. Um, (laughs) I know, which is kind of funny, but we can fit a mattress in there, and it's just better. But if his cousins are around or someone, he had friends up once, then they stay in the bedroom. Um, And he all of a sudden came out one day holding Andy's swimsuit Mm, because it had fallen behind the bed. And his 
poor face. And I felt so bad that he had discovered that swimsuit himself. And this is a kid that can go in his brother's drawer and get pants he's going to grow into. But that surprise of discovering something is hard. Because he could, you know, get ready to do that. You know, he, yeah. he had some planning, knowing he was going to go in that drawer. Yeah. It was totally different from yeah. that swimsuit. My cousin, a few years back, um, it's actually my mom's cousin, Ellen. She found some footage of my older sister at the pool when she, her kids were little. And it was video. And she sent it to me. And I know, you know, nowadays you have so much video But back then, we didn't have cell phones that had video on them or anything. And she sent me this video, and I heard my sister's voice that I had never, I wasn't there, I wasn't present at the video. This is something new. And that's, I think, one of the hardest things is you have seen everything, read everything, heard everything about them you will ever hear again. Yeah. And then something new pops up, and... It's at the same time, it's the greatest thing, and it's so hard. Yeah. yeah. It takes you right back. It does take you right back. And um, speaking about the voice, that is that is a blessing when I can hear his voice. I, it's so painful, but um, pictures I see all the time, right? I have pictures yeah. all over my house. I right. look at pictures. I, you know, plan a kiss on a picture with my fingers, Um that, those I see, but hearing his voice, right. I miss. And when I found little videos on my phone that he took without me knowing, and so then I never erased them, <laughs> it's such a blessing to me now to hear his voice. Yes. Well, and even his phone, you got to remember it. We thought it was locked out, and you weren't going to get to access it. Oh, I anything. know. And we didn't think we'd be able to get into it at all, and then suddenly Peter remembered the password. It was what a blessing that was yeah and that was after taking it to like a special place to yeah and they said they couldn't do it and then peter pulled that one out of his head (laughs) oh i'm so glad he did yeah yeah i think god gave him that (laughs) little bit of knowledge to remember yeah yeah i'm it's so funny because now i'm i mean i think the kids would tell me their passwords you know what i mean it's not like they don't have anything to hide on their phones. But now I feel like I have to make sure I really know because it's just so scary. The prospect, um, once you've lost a child of losing another one, right? It's so scary. And I think about that with your parents a lot about how terrifying that would be because I'm scared that I'm going to lose another one and they're not sick. They're healthy kids. So when you're faced with this reality of not there's a chance I might lose another one, but there's a good chance I will. Right. How just horrible that would be. Yeah. I You um, spent Christmas with our family, and my dad was yeah. with you, and um, your story was really, um, really touched him a lot, and... Um, I will say, I think maybe the most painful sight for me is looking at my dad staring down in the cemetery at his wife and two children, like yeah. at his, almost his entire life he created as yeah. an adult. Um, and it's just me that yeah. is left. And um, it's really painful. And I remember I told him, you know, after everything that's happened in my family with cancer and having no family history of cancer, I've had all the genetic workup and all of that. And I decided to have a surgery, you know, to, to make sure I didn't have ovarian cancer and all these different things. And, you know, I remember my dad said, if something ever happens to you, just, I'm just going to need a straight jacket right away. I, I don't know what I would do. Yeah. And, um, and yet, you know, the human spirit, um, we're sitting here talking and if you went to a year ago today, it was, it was a mess, you know, it was a horrible time in your life. Yeah. It's, it's, it is amazing how you feel like 
well, tomorrow's not going to be any better than today. Right. And that is what you feel like. And, um, and on a day-to-day basis, you don't really see a difference. I think about today, and I think, oh, it's about the same yesterday. And yesterday, I'm sure I thought, well, I'm about the same as I was the day before. But over time, you do change right. a little bit at a time. And it's just so minuscule that you don't notice it as it's happening. Right. But then when you look back, right. it is a lot different. It's a lot different. It's a lot different. There's a lot more purpose in your pain and when you're just so raw in the beginning. Yeah, and that's what really this, doing this podcast right. has done for me, is given me a little bit of purpose and given me some purpose for my grief. And, you know, I even write in my blog now, and and that just gives me a little bit of purpose and somewhere to, I say, somewhere to put my grief. Yeah. So that I can take little breaks from it and do some other things and not feel like I have to always be sad every minute of the day because it would be dishonoring not to be. Right. Um, Well, and especially to think of something like this podcast, how intentionally honoring it is to Andy's memory. Yeah. You know, and people... You know, I know Stephanie said in her interview in episode three um, that she had to look at her strengths and someone told her someday you will use those strengths again and Kian will be all wrapped up in them. And Mm. I felt very much at that moment, I know I didn't say it, but I was like, wow, I'm using my strength. Yeah. And Andy's all wrapped up in it. Yeah. And it just feels good to do something with Andy. Right. Because I think I am doing this with Andy. Absolutely. Because he's here with me. And, you know, um, two days ago was our big launch day. It's been extremely successful. I've had mm-hmm. a lot of downloads. I was even on the news a couple times. And, and I was thinking just today about how if Andy was watching me from down in heaven, which I don't know if he does or he doesn't, but if he would be, I think he'd be telling everybody up in heaven, my mom was on TV today. I he know was he on, would be. He was, <laughs> she was on two TV stations right. today, and they replayed her the next day on TV. And, right. and he would just be so over the moon excited about that. So again, it's it gives me a little smile, which it wouldn't have. Actually, a year ago wouldn't no, have made would me not. smile. But I just think about how happy this would make him and how I think proud he would be that he could help people, you know, um, help people get through this. I mean, he had such a strong faith. Right. And to be able to share that with people. Right. I mean, he shared his faith openly with anyone and everyone, his best friend. He like really wanted to make sure he was going to go to heaven. (laughs) Um, So it is nice to think that this can be helpful to others in that way. We absolutely would not be sitting here today talking had it not been for Andy. No. It is all wrapped up in him. And I remember um, shortly after Andy's funeral um, saying – wow, that church was just packed. And you don't know how that will affect people who have no, you know, don't know any sort of faith to see such an honoring of God ceremony. You know, who knows what that, w- what that will do on people's hearts. And you, you felt like it wasn't worth my son. No. It no. wasn't worth losing yeah. Andy. And and honestly, I remember you saying that. And I remember you even praying that before the funeral. And I just wanted you to shut up. Honestly. Did you want to punch me? <laughs> almost. <laughs> almost did. I, I, I wanted to be like, you need to stop praying now because yeah. I'm starting to get angry because that's not where I was. Right. I wasn't at a place to be able to think there could ever be any, any benefit from his death you might want to invite me back for the what not to say when (laughs) (laughs) 
when your friend has just suffered a tragedy because yeah. well that was the one thing that you did that wasn't the, the one not to do <laughs> that you did not need <laughs> that I did not need and and uh, honestly afterwards I told you fairly you soon did. afterwards you did. because we are so close I could do that right. I mean other people when they said the wrong thing I just had to kind of let it go and right. get some grit give some grace and I mean not that I wasn't giving you grace right. but I felt like I needed to be honest with you right? and to let you know that, you know, honestly, my faith had had been really shaken mm-hmm. um, and it's still not where it used to be. And I feel guilty about that, but it's it's where it is. Right. It's where it is. And it's I'm working it on it. And and um, at, and down the road, I think about speaking to Jolyn in episode four and she is much further down the road and can look so differently at things than I can right now um but I hope to be able to get there again but at that time it was just nothing I really wanted nothing to do with anything good coming of it um I so. love I love the thought about wrestling with the Lord, and I think about I know we t- I can specifically remember being in a church with you doing a study, and you just couldn't stand there anymore, and it was so fresh. And you said, "I need to go to the sanctuary. Come with me to the sanctuary and pray." And we went into the sanctuary alone, and we were praying, and just crying out just, to God to just yeah. alleviate some of this pain. And I just. I know that if you wrestle with God, like you're still doing, the one thing I know about God is he's always going to win. Yeah. The, the key is to keep engaging with him, even in anger, frustration, whatever it is. He's going to win. Yeah, and, and I've definitely had so many people tell me it's okay to be angry with God because he can take it. You know, I mean, I can be angry with other people and they'll be like, forget you, Marky. I'm, <laughs> right. I'm done with you. Right. But, you know, God won't do that. No. And I can be angry and he's not going to give up on me and go away. And that is important because if you, it was really important for me to hear that because the last thing I needed was to then feel guilty about my anger. And you did. Which I did. You did. Which I, I did anyway. You're but this nice little Christian Iowa girl that doesn't feel right saying she's angry or feels ripped off by God. And I, I can so remember that. And you know what's the irony is? It doesn't matter if we vocalize it or not. He knows. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> yeah, nothing, I know. There's nothing we can tell him that he's not like, yeah, I know. I mean, it's <laughs> more like we're telling ourselves, right. you know, because God knows it all. And he can take it all. He's, he can handle it. Yep. And that's what was so helpful to me. And again, I was at now that same Bible study. Now this year, last year, yeah. honestly, it was just a fail. I tried. Right. And then I went to my um, support group, which is a Christian-based support group. And all of the women in there were like, I couldn't go to a Bible study for two years. I can't go to a Bible study even yet. So I felt so much better because I felt this tremendous guilt because Eric kept going faithfully every week. And and honestly... Back to work, back to Bible study. I know. And I was like, I'm not going to Bible study because they... Every question I, they talk about, I think of Andy and I want to cry and I get so mad and angry and and it was just driving me crazy. And what's really ironic is the only reason Eric even went started that Bible study is because I was going to Bible study and then right. he was the faithful one and I just kind of fell off the wagon. <laughs> but I went back this year and it's just entirely different. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I, I again feel like Things are speaking to me in yes. good ways, and um, which is great because yeah. it's only been a year, and it's you know, and the, and the other people are like, we're like two or never, or um, so that was nice for sure, and that is nice. And I don't know that every week will feel that way, and I don't know that you're not going to have to walk out with it again sometime, <laughs> um, but I hope not. Yeah, and um, but if I do have to walk out. I hope I'm in a place that I don't feel guilty about it. Absolutely. So Marcy and I have been in this study for a long time, and there are hundreds of women in it, and it's really busy. And we have always been front row girls. 
And last year we were back, back row, row girls, girls. Yeah. because when I went, yeah, yeah, because <laughs> you just never knew when I was going to flee. Honestly, <laughs> exactly. And maybe we can go to the middle this year or up front. I I did well. I I missed you this last week because I, I, you know, it's so funny. Last year was so off for me that I forgot that last year the time had changed and right. moved up ten minutes. So this year I showed up. Actually, I was only like one or two minutes late because I thought I was eight minutes early. <laughs> I walked in with Peter and it starts at, at 6.45 and I, we were pulling in, walking in at 6.46 and he said, what time does it start? And I said, oh, not for nine minutes. And um, then I walk in and of course they're singing and Peter goes, since when do they sing before... Before it starts, like, oh, yeah, okay. So I'm late. So anyway, Michelle then had, of course, given up on me, probably thinking I had bailed. (laughs) And so she went um, and sat. But I did sit kind of in the middle, just, you know. Okay. Even though I was late. I actually saved you a seat up front. Oh, did you? I had such... you were really, Confidence. that's really, really optimistic because I, I don't think I'm going front yet. There, Okay. There was a seat <laughs> up front for you and, uh, and I didn't know that you had made the Bible study until I went to pick up my child and, and there's Peter. Peter. And so I got to go find you and, um, you can just feel it. You are in a different place. Um, afterwards people are walking up wanting to, um, engage with you and how are you doing people you haven't seen for a long time yeah and and, and last year um I used to wait in the yeah. back of the church mm-hmm. it, hidden as much as I could be kind of almost in the dark um until everyone was gone right. because I just couldn't handle seeing anybody right right and so you do when you think about those things you're right daily and that was one of the hardest things early on with you is that it was so hard. We lost Andy, and that was so hard. But it was also, I mean, I really selfishly grieved our friendship because although we were um, we were still close and in constant contact. Yeah, and I'm honestly probably spending even more time way together. Way more time together, but it wasn't that light fun we've always had this kind of funny sense of humor stupid jokes between us and it's only recently that is that kind of coming back our whole friendship changed and I remember crying to Craig saying I just I miss my friendship with Marcy and I feel like I'm grieving the loss of that as well Um, even when the dust settled and there were no more arrangements to be made life was just so heavy all the time yeah. And um, things, yeah. I I just knew tomorrow is not going to feel any different than today. Right. It, this is a long haul thing. And, and that's why it was so valuable to have you there. Yeah. Because you did know that tomorrow wasn't going to be better than today. And so many other people just so desperately wanted tomorrow to be better than today. Mm-hmm that they couldn't even stand thinking that tomorrow might not be better than today. And so you end up pulling back a little bit. Right. You know, and, and you just, you just didn't. No, I mean, you were there when it was so heavy. We were so close beforehand that it was easy to, you know, the joke about me is I'm so hard to get a hold of. And then this happened and suddenly. Oh, I I know. I would, (laughs) I would call her. Her voicemail's always full. I know. She never erases anything, and she would never answer the phone. So it was always this huge joke that she would yeah. never answer the phone. And if she'd start answering the phone, I'd be like, well, I really moved up on the friend list <laughs> because she's now answering the phone. But I tell you, after Andy died, this girl hardly ever doesn't answer right. the phone. I mean, she she's in some like important meaning whatever she will just step out answer the phone and go I'm in this meeting but do you need something right do you need to talk do you need I can leave I mean it's well, and, and in my defense I silenced my church i my phone at church on Sunday and realized on Thursday that you know I, I just am not good about that and yes so, and it's um, not that she knowingly would right, ignore me right. but I but do have to say yeah, it's it's now I, it it's very so much, much. Like and that. if and if goodness if she does miss a call from me I get this almost panicked uh 
phone call usually within 10 or 15 minutes back did you need something <laughs> right right because she feels so bad right um, right and our other good friend Kara I and she silences her phone at night to virtually everyone except me oh. I can I can call her through she does not have like if it's I'm gonna have two to o'clock Kara in the morning about my settings I did not know you could <laughs> yeah even do that. you are I'm sure not on the setting that I'm on <laughs> Because I actually did when Eric a few months ago um, fell. Well, he fainted. He passed out. He cut his head open terribly. He was bleeding all over. I had to drive him to the emergency room. And it was like 2 in the morning. Well, no, maybe it was like 1 in the morning. And I inexplicably just called Kara. And I I knew she was going to answer. And there was nothing for her to do. I was already at the emergency room. I was panicky I mean the police were like telling me where to park and I got out of the car and I said my son was just killed in a car accident I can't handle this I can't drive this car anymore I need to be with my husband you park the car I just (laughs) I told the poor security police guy that he had to park my car for me so um they did, wow. <laughs> which was very nice. But I was like, I'm I'm not turning off the car. I don't care where you want me to park. This is just not happening today. Um, and then when we left, like two, three hours later, the same guy was there te- telling me where my car was and then saying, are you okay to drive home, ma'am? <laughs> because certainly I was such a mess. But yeah, I called Kara. I told her this whole thing and she's like, you know, what do you need? And I said, I don't know. I don't think I need anything. She hung up the phone. Her husband, Justin, said, what was that? And she goes, it was it was Marcy. And he said, what did she need? And she goes, I don't know. Because <laughs> really I didn't need anything other than just to like, I don't know, vent and because I was going crazy and being anxious. But yeah, I will say that that was something in um, – the last year that's been really helpful is a couple of friends that have come around you to um, we can kind of keep in touch with there's two I can think of Kara and Carrie that yeah we kind of make sure you're covered yeah you know for things and it's been really, and especially early on you especially were especially early on you, and things it was funny because I would go into the office and then it was like okay it's Michelle's, Michelle's duty on. because Michelle is um receptionist in my office actually right and and then if I would go home I think you would let the other two know that I was like leaving yeah. so everyone knew where I was at all times that's right and um and you know care we knew if you weren't up at a certain time. Yeah, Carrie Car- would come to my house yeah. and get me out of bed and go for a walk. It was a good. T- it was a good team, team effort and just making sure you know that you were covered and um, you know I just remember the importance even in the beginning. You were in a car accident. You had suffered a really bad psychological <laughs> trauma that way too. And when you were dropping Katie off at school, you would sometimes have a really hard time on your way I can remember you calling me and just needed someone to talk to in the car yeah to get home and yeah because it was very very hard to drive very yeah. hard to drive yeah I mean I think back to that first time I had to get into a car I got into your car my car it was like the way wall. home from the hospital I was oh I was a mess it actually took you several times to step in it was like a wall was where my car like yeah preventing you it was all all of you had a hard time in but mine was like in. almost impossible it I was. just kept thinking to myself I have to get in this car because if I don't get in this car I won't get home right um and I needed to get home but yet I was dreading coming home because right. it was going to be the first time I came home without yeah. Andy yeah. without Andy being there but you know we had to go home I knew we did and that we certainly don't live close enough to the hospital to walk right. um so yeah I think I went 40 on the highway yeah because I mean it was just so everyone was so uncomfortable yeah although I was probably then paranoid we were going to get rear-ended probably (laughs) oh well thank you so much for agreeing to be on today I it was wonderful talking about your sisters although we talked much more about Andy than I expected I really wanted to focus on your sisters but I do have to say you were such a huge part of my 
uh, healing really over the past 13 months. I mean, the whole time, not just the beginning, but the whole time that it was probably important to honor that as well. Well, it's an honor to help someone that is in grief. I'll tell you if um, I know sometimes the natural tendency is to just not want to avoid that discomfort, but the blessing um, to be able to just be with, walk with someone in their pain. Um, I don't, nothing could come between our relationship. You just yeah. get bonded in I'll, a way. Although I felt a lot of guilt a lot of times, feeling like I shouldn't call her anymore. I shouldn't call Karen anymore. I'm only getting them down. I don't want to bug them. I mean, in my darkest times, I really felt like I wanted to pull away because I was afraid I was bringing you down. Um, so it was so important for you three to talk together and to push yourselves on me. Right. Because I really did want it and I really did need it, but I was telling myself I'm not good for anyone to be around now. Right. And pushing people away, and well, not really pushing them away. If you got, if you came, right. I would, you I would go open. for that walk, right. and I would do that stuff. But I wasn't going to pick up the phone and call most right. of the time, right. e- except those car instances. I really would because I would just be so panicked you that I was going to get in yeah. a car accident and hurt someone. Right, and that's it's it's an interesting thing, you know. Grief, you're just kind of your mind's in another place because you know the irony is we're not sitting at home getting on with our happy lives because we're not around you at the moment I mean you when someone you care about that deeply is struggling even if you're not with them yeah you're thinking about them all the time well and I know I mean certainly a lot of my listeners are bereaved parents but there also are a lot of my listeners that have friends and loved ones who are bereaved parents and just want to know what to do. And so, I mean, you're a great example, except for that oh, one thanks. instance. Yeah, don't talk about that part. But, but um, in yeah. every other instance, you were what I needed yeah. and exactly just what I needed. Just be present, right? Just be present. Just be phone. there and answer the phone. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Michelle. You're welcome. Love you. <laughs> Love you, too. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.